I, I, I could not. <laughs> you can't. You can't like. Uh, uh, you can't sneak up on me anymore. I can't. We got that funny. crazy voice telling yeah. us that we're being recorded. Uh, yeah. Well, like, welcome to Over 50 Starting Over. I'm Merle Garrison. I'm Barry Edwards. Good we morning. Just, and we were just talking about going on to, uh, to Yosemite National Park. Uh, Anne-Marie and I went there last year and 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 we were uh, we were just talking about that because of this uh, Half Dome awesome. mug. Yeah, awesome it is. Mug. And it, it's this, this rock right here, Half Dome, that's what mm. it's called. It is amazing. I, I And you know, when you see it on TV or in pictures, you know, Ansel Adams was always uh, taking beautiful shots of this. He's famous for that. But when you see it in person, it, it's really mind blowing. Like, are you kidding me? And the fact that people are constantly just climbing that mm-hmm. and, and, and like mm-hmm. that, they like that. <laughs> like, are you kidding? It's a sheer like straight up and down a cliff, like hundreds of feet. Yeah. The, the, I mean, it's really an awesome sight. A lot of people have fallen fallen from there, actually. Wow, I wonder how they get away with that without lawsuits. I, we went there know, when I was a kid. Yeah. Just yeah. So oh, it's just. And then the whole, uh, you know, you have Yosemite Valley where like you got Half Dome and El Capitan and all these waterfalls down there. And there's a beautiful green valley that apparently a, um, a, a glacier had formed this, but all around the general area, you've got these huge sequoias out there. Um, I, I guess they're redwoods too. I, I don't know. These huge trees. I've never seen trees like that before. I think those are the redwoods. I think. Well, I think they're mixed. Uh, I don't know, but it, the, the whole area is just magnificent. Uh, love to go back there again. For sure. Yeah, uh, man, what a discombobulating week I had. I had yeah. to move oh, yeah. back to, well, I did the last oh. podcast from that office. My yeah, yeah. You apart had, like, office there. Stuff in the background there, you know, Lisa's like, a construction next, project. When Lisa <laughs> watched it, she's like, oh, you do not do well on your own. <laughs> she loved the podcast, <laughs> but she's like, you were so disheveled. Your Look office you. was, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wearing that t-shirt. And I am, I'm really happy to be back uh, to normal, to my, oh, my normal schedule, my, my routine. I really am because I went from doing, turning that house over on Monday to my new renters. And then right over across the street, I had to stay at my neighbor's house to watch their dogs because oh. they went on vacation. So I just got back from there last night. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then yesterday I helped, um, member nina um let me share something here member nina who had cancer had has uh survived oh, yeah. cancer yeah you brought times. her up on the show yeah and i went over her house and jt's which they are getting ready to sell because they it's it's heartbreaking they're separating she is moving to arizona and mm-hmm. to move in with her brother because uh, that's her really her only option. She needs assistance. And there is a GoFundMe page here. Uh, it is uh, HTTPS colon slash slash GoFundMe.me slash 518-9470-D. And I'll put that link in the show notes. I just want to try to appeal to anybody that 
can help her monetarily as little as $20. Every little bit helps. She's absolutely devastated. They've claimed bankruptcy. Now they're selling the house. Uh, they're splitting up, but they're amicable. It's just the stress over these years have gotten to them. And JT, her husband, has been diagnosed by his general physician to uh, have caretaker syndrome and uh, extreme caretaker syndrome where he's mm. just taxed beyond belief wow. and it was ordered let's say strongly suggested that uh they he get he spends time on his own and get his huh. life back together for himself so it's wow. just heartbreaking and uh it just huh. and i'll probably go over there and help them some more tomorrow and so uh what did what, did, what was the term caretaker syndrome Is yeah that, i think what, or caretaker ps ptsd something like that i see oh it's my ptsd is okay so is. now now she wait i know we talked about this before but was was that eight or nine time survivor what did eight, that say eight, eight times no, yeah she even heard of that before neither eight, have her doctors times. she has a disease called uh was it lynch I think it's Lynch disease where okay. it just means that your body's this very susceptible to this cancer or just it, cancer, but your cells cannibalizing each other. Are, you know? are these eight separate yeah. different cancers that she has? Yeah. It's not like the same one recurring. That's, the same yeah. One. Yeah. Right. It's no, it'll be breast cancer, colon cancer, brain, uh, I think brain. Um, oh my gosh. All kinds of different stuff. She has tubes in her at all times, uh, uh, assisting bodily functions and stuff. And, and, and so her husband has had to um, really do all the- Not work. He hasn't been able to work in at least two years. And, and, and how old is the couple around? They're around 60. Okay. maybe early so, 60s even and so, okay. they seem of like a fairly young vital 60 fairly yeah um she doesn't and, she doesn't she looks young yeah she and you know and seeing her again yesterday i hadn't seen her in nearly a year i'd say uh i was very pleasantly surprised with how her disposition was and everything yeah. just totally there got a good attitude and JT, I could see that he's fighting. I would say that he's going through the different stages of grief mm -hmm. as, you know, he sees this. He's horribly upset about what has happened to the relationship, but mm. uh, also text. You could see how stressed he's been in the different things he's going through. And we started working together a lot towards the end of the day uh, and one on one guy time, which was nice. And I could see him loose. It was good for him. I could tell. I could see is him loosening up. J JT is the husband's name. Yeah, and correct. And yeah. you know that I have another friend, JT, who has I was getting a little confused. Out in Lodi. I should have yeah, made that. Yeah. I have two JTs in my life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so boy, I, I <clears throat> I've seen that the that how taxing caregiving can be, mm -hmm. uh, especially you know my cousin that had ALS and became completely paralyzed and his wife had to really do everything. And I, at, we, Anne-Marie and I would go out every weekend to help, but looking at his wife and what she was dealing with, I sometimes wondered how she's, she was really able to cope with that for, for years. Yeah. And yeah. Um, just the stress of having this other life. If you make a mistake, that person can, can die. Yeah. Uh, that, that oh, alone, yeah. just having that kind of stress. And then there's no rest. There's absolutely right. like, there's no sleep. There's no rest. It's, um, and there's, there's really very little, 
of a life that that she had you know that she didn't really have her own life for for that time until it's awful way it it really was and the other thing that i saw barry was it it seemed like the ultimate expression of love at the same time it was complete self-sacrifice in in a, in a way it was a beautiful thing to see mm-hmm. it seemed like it was love that actually was fueling the energy that she had but i'm telling you by the end and it was about it it was about a two and a half year period i mean she was a, she was worn to a frazzle i mean that really i think it took her probably a few years to decompress and become herself again it was almost like you you need to be um what are they they debrief you after a (laughs) some kind of a traumatic event or however they they do it that they need they boy you need therapy man it's really something and and gosh barry you know here we are the show's over 50 starting over so many Mm. people our age are dealing with this yeah um and it's it's devastating i mean <clears throat> i remember as a very young person thinking oh you know 55 or whatever that's you know they're kind of old you know now <laughs> we I, are old Make no i mistake. don't know i don't feel like it i don't either you yeah. know and, and i feel uh i feel like i have vitality and uh, mm-hmm. but something like this will just rob that from you i just well, had a friend of mine uh who is who's my age uh, you know, Brian, his, his ex-wife, Martha, uh, passed away from, she had cancer. Uh, oh. She just passed away last week. Mm. And, uh, you know, she's early to mid fifties and, um, you know, wow. it just, it just takes all any youth you have. It, it just, it saps it away like a sponge and just, it's devastating. It's it, really it, devastating. It is. And, you know, face it with each year, our chances of having of something like that happening to us or our spouse uh, greatly increases, I would think. So the chances of one of us having to care for the other in a very dependent kind of way, chances get more and more each year. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, and that's why they say in marriage, you know, until death do us part. Mm. And so, you know, we're it's important. you're, You're in it. You're in it through thick and thin, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what anybody can be loved and be lovely when everything is going great. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's so the true. real test of love is when uh, when you know things are going bad and somebody's right by your side. I I remember Barry, uh, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but my dad used to say this to me growing up that you know um, when you uh, become an adult. You're not going to have all those friends that you got in high school right now. Right. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, because I had, I was very, you know, I, everyone knew me. I was friends with everybody. I had a lot of friends, you know. And uh, he, he said, yeah, when you get to be an adult, the real friends, you'll be able to count on one hand. Yep. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then he said this to me, you watch, as soon as any trouble hits, you're going to see who your real friends are. Yeah. And I remember uh, this is before I met you when I was 19, I got into some trouble and boom, they were all gone. <laughs> the only one left was my brother. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, well, that's and it. of course, I think what you're getting at is how important our spouses, are, our partners are to us. That's and, right. You know, decades ago, it was a must to get married and to navigate through financially in every way to navigate through life. And I mean, decades ago, let's face it, divorce was uh, uh, taboo. 
before say 1970s, yeah, you know, yeah. and then uh, all of a sudden in the seventies that doubled and tripled and, and, you know, that came on, but uh, a partner now is a choice. I know a lot of lifelong single people when I really think about it, yeah. or at least uh, divorced or whatever the circumstance and state, you know, voluntarily stayed single the rest of their lives. Um, right, right. Nothing wrong with it. Cause we can no. do it these days. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I just think the emotional support, if you have a healthy relationship, it's a great thing. You know what? That's the point. But if you don't have a healthy relationship, you might as well be on your own. You're probably better off that way. You're probably better off, right? That's it all comes down to yeah. making sure that you find the right match, right? I mm -hmm. mean, it's a, uh, if you take it from me, if you have the wrong match, your life is going to be miserable. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're not yeah. going to be, it's, yeah. it's impossible to, well, let's not say it's impossible. It's possible, but it's a lot harder to be happy like that. It sure is. Hey, so along these lines, we're talking about our health and uh, our partners and stuff. I want to share an article with you. This is a quick one, and then we'll segue into uh, some other subjects that we have to talk about, I think are pretty important. But this is important. This article, I'll share the link for it, of course. It's called Seven Things to Do After 50 for a Healthier Brain. Hmm. And uh, so... I'm not going to read it to you. You can read it for yourself. I'll just tell you what the seven are. Keep your number one, keep your blood pressure under control. I yeah, recently started medication for that and I'm on a low dose, but I would rather be on that medication, which I've always been really anti uh, prescription drugs. Um, yeah. But I'd rather have that than be taxing my heart. High blood pressure runs in my family. My, yep, my brother's yep. been on it for years. Number two, get regular exercise. I can't stress this enough. I think this is the number one reason that you and I and people, our generation feels vital at 55. Whereas decades ago, remember, remember what we thought of our grandparents at 40, yeah. 45? <laughs> yes, I do. It was a whole different thing. It was yes, a complete, it was. And they, it was, they look different. I mean, if you compare the pictures, they look different. Yeah. And so funny that Ron Burgundy movie, do you know what I'm talking about? What's yeah, the name yeah, of that? Yeah. The, but, uh, Anchorman. Yeah. So they're Ron spoofing. Burgundy. Yeah. Because that's what people first started to exercise and they oh. had the crazy jogging suits and jogging. Yeah. And uh, the tennis shoes. Remember that's when tennis shoes finally changed <laughs> into something that had more yeah. arch support and stuff. There's Converse. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, I think it's the number one, that's my opinion, the number one most important thing that you can do uh, to maintain better quality of life as we get older. Number three, these are uh, some common sense stuff here. Number three, eat a heart healthy diet. And it talks about the Mediterranean style diet and things like that. So again, Highly uh, recommend that you uh, click on this link and read this over. Number four, manage your weight. Oh, there's a statistic that something like every extra pound of fat on your body is something like five miles of capillaries that your heart has to push blood through. So, wait, wait, say that was a pretty amazing thing that you just said. Five miles of capillary I, for every what? I, I, I might be wrong because I remember hearing this a yeah, couple of times, yeah. but as I remember it, for every extra pound of fat that you carry, fat is uh, it's like five miles of capillaries that your heart wow. has to push, push blood through. I mean, if you think about like an engine and just what if you were going to compare that 
it would you could see how that could tax an engine well your heart's like an engine it's the same thing that's that's an amazing I don't know. I mean, five miles. That's, that's pretty impressive, Barry. It's amazing. And the bottom line is when you think about people that you may know in their later seventies, eighties, or nineties, how many of them are really heavy? No, you never said that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good indication that those people were, it just didn't make it. Yeah. (laughs) And, And of the ones there are, I can think of some people that are, um, overweight at those ages but health-wise quality of life-wise it's a totally different ball game uh, you could one could get the impression that as you get older you just get skinnier but that's just not how it <laughs> that's funny <laughs> <laughs> number five learn new things and this is so interesting. important it is uh because i remember a statistic that uh god i i say his name every podcast i i'm very cognizant of that jordan peterson i learned (laughs) so much from him your guy yeah he said in a recent podcast i forget what the subject matter was but he said that we peak our 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 cognitive development peaks at 25 and slowly begins a decline from there on so somebody at 55 (laughs) learning new things uh it's you you can atrophy that muscle if you don't use it you know so what I've been doing lately? It's important lately is to learn new things. I have been uh, learning piano. Oh, and how cool. That, and how difficult. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I play guitar. And so the piano, I've always, we have a piano. Mm. And, uh, but I, I, I've always been fascinated by it. Mm. But it's, I open the, the thing and look at the keyboard and I'm like, what? What? Yeah. what am I looking at? And I don't know, something happened in the last couple of uh, few weeks where I, uh, I started to uh, make a connection between what I was learning on my guitar and oh, the sure. keyboard. And it almost came to life for me mm-hmm. and uh, Anne-Marie plays. So uh, she's been giving me a couple of lessons and I've been practicing scales. Uh, kind of a, and, and it's all mus- muscle memory, you know, mm. like you, you, that's it. The amazing thing, I know, let me stick here for a second. The amazing thing about your body is you get in there and you do it and you know, it sounds horrible, you know, but then you come back the next day and your fingers almost automatically start going to the place that was so hard to go to the day before. Your brain is amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as as it does become muscle memory, then you're able to think about other things. You start off learning something on an instrument. It's pure consciousness that brain power that it takes. But as you practice more and more and that commits to muscle memory, you're then able to do other things with your conscious brain that's right that maybe sing along with uh, and that's you're right and that's it's it playing any instrument is like patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same mm-hmm. time but then sing on top of that so yeah. you're patting your head rubbing your stomach and then you're juggling with your foot over here. <laughs> <laughs> you're right it's a you're lot right. like that and yeah. uh uh, I, uh, I'm also learning to read music. Um, mm. I can, I know where the notes are. So when I'm, I can, a lot of people in music, like blues and rock stars have never have learned how to read music. Probably most. Thing. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I was with this piano thing. I was hoping I wouldn't have to learn any music, but Anne Marie convinced me that no, no, you got to learn this. So yeah. I'm like, okay, well, why not? So I start doing that too. And uh, she, it's actually a lot easier than I thought that was going to be too. So mm. anyway, 
usually things in life are easier than you think they're going to be before they you They are. Well, and you know, I used to teach Photoshop all those years and what I learned about that was uh, the older people struggled a lot, a heck mm -hmm. of a lot. And what I learned about that is I had to break it down into small, small steps and give them these small wins to break down the intimidation. Wow. That was the biggest part is once you get by the intimidation of something and you go, oh, it's not as hard as I thought, then it's a lot easier from there. Well, what a great teacher you are by uh, breaking it down into those small bite-sized nuggets. They need small yeah, wins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, one thing I learned too about uh, playing guitar is I'm, I'm trying to learn these really intricate solos, you know, that last for several minutes. It's not very easy. Oh, no. Uh, but uh, what I learned is uh, just it's like, how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time. So just like you're saying, so one night I would learn like three or four notes, do, 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 you know, and I just mm. practice that, practice that, practice yeah. that. And then the next day I'd add on, do, 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 you know, and just after about four weeks of that, you got a pretty good melody going on right there and you, you you've committed it it's now ingrained in your head yeah. uh, but just so small bites right there and yeah. it's like how do you the the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step it's, it's the same thing with everything yeah with everything. you know like i repainted my the interior of my house many times and uh when i paint I don't use tape or anything. I, mm. I do all the edging. You need a really good edge brush, first of all, obviously oh. something of a steady hand, but it's the same thing. What I would do is take a, in my head, a six inch square and say, I'm going to make this six inch square. Perfect. The, edge, oh. you know, the edging. And yeah, just that's do that. I, I hate the edging part. That's oh, everybody part. does. It's, yeah. it's, it's uh, like a Buddhist thing. Uh, wax on wax off. It's uh, <laughs> teaches you patience and then yeah. it rewards you for the patience that you learn. And I think it's kind of interesting. Hey, we got to finish. I, this I, thing I like off. that. That's pretty cool. Oh, <laughs> All right. Ahead. Number six of what is this called? Uh, seven things to do after 50 for a healthier brain. I noticed okay. that it was titled dementia at the top. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's what it said is researchers oh. are racing to find a treatment for dementia. But everyday oh, habits boy. can lower your risk. Me being in my profession, I have to learn new stuff every complicated new stuff every day. I'll, right. I, I can't see getting dementia. Can't stop learning, right? Right. Number six, get good sleep. Now, we all kind of know this. And for some of us, this is harder to do than it than it sounds. And uh, some people just have more stress, uh, manage stress differently than us. Other people naturally um, have a hard time sleeping. I go through bouts of relative insomnia uh, from time to time. Yeah, but usually I sleep pretty good. So yeah, do what you can to get that. And number seven, finally, <laughs> manage stress. Well, that sounds easy. Yes, that's super easy. Now that you know that secret. <laughs> yeah, just manage yeah. your stress. Yeah, just get rid of it. Till, yeah. <laughs> but so much of that, Merle, is, of course, it's perspective. And that's exactly right. Related right to number six, get good sleep. Boy, yeah. those are hand in hand. And if you can change the way you look at things, as Wayne Dyer says, if you could change the way you look at things, things you look at change. So when you find more positives, for God's sake, stay off uh, mainstream media. That will uh, definitely stress you. Stay off, uh, regulate the amount of social media you take in 
for sure. Uh, these things produce so much negativity that it in turn, it changes your outlook. Do you see how violent everything is getting now? It I mean, really is. All these major cities with all the different violence going on. I mean, we saw this in the social dilemma. They illustrated that very well, how people are being manipulated on social media. And small countries are just eating themselves alive, beating up each other in the streets uh, mm. because of the rage that they've done by manipulating their perspectives. With that, that takes us right into current events. Hey, I wanted to say uh, that um, I got an idea while we were talking about mm. those things that uh, for your birthday, I got to find a way to get Jordan Peterson to call you and sing happy birthday to you. Oh, you know, there's some kind of app where celebrities yeah. go on there and uh, and they yeah, do that. I've, yeah, I've heard of that. How cool would that be? Oh, uh, wouldn't it cool. be? It'd be great to have them on the show. Yeah. And oh can God, you get man. on that? Yeah, I'll get right on that. Take him away from his <laughs> 7 million viewers. You he know? would love to. I mean, he's got it. He cares about our viewers. I'm sure he cares I, about them. I'm sure he if does. If he had time, I'm sure he would come, come on the show. Wouldn't it be great to just pick his brain for an hour? I mean, the way that guy thinks is uh, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so much there. And I just heard on his last podcast, his daughter introduces the podcast for the week at the beginning. And she said, okay, we're down to one podcast a week. Now, I think he was at two. Um, because he's starting, he's not feeling so good anymore. And it's always, his condition is very ambiguous to me. But I know that to just keep to just manage his condition, whatever, it, he's in chronic pain all the time. I know that he can only yeah. eat meat and drink, I believe, seltzer water. That's it. Wow. Uh, yeah. And he's got he's had some some other stuff that he's dealing with, like some chronic uh there's some issues that he's had that has just been hard for him, especially over the mm. last several years. But yes. look at what he's been able to accomplish, although he's had yeah. these 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 uh, burdens that are definitely on top of him. And he's uh, he's really on top of his game at the same time. You know, Merle, this is a really important thing that I want to discuss with you for a few minutes. And I posed this question to Lisa yesterday when I was telling her about working over with Nina and JT over there and how heartbreaking that was for me. I was over there about four hours. It was uh, made me emotional and I tried to just push it down while I was there. But and so with Jordan Peterson as well. If you want to talk about God in the traditional sense, a, uh, a higher power, why this is like asking about the book of Job or something. Why do these things happen to these good people? You know, that's a, it's, it's a tough thing to really get into your heart about God and, and understand what's going on here. And there's a lot of people that are mad at God or, yeah. You know, people will say that, uh, well, God needed them more in heaven than they needed them here on earth. But, you know, according, I, I can only t speak according to what my Bible says uh, about it. And the fact is, is that it was never God's will to have any of this type of violence, um, any of this uh, darkness at all uh, from the from the moment of creation what happened in the Bible is that 
there was a lease on the world that was given to Adam and Eve. That's why Adam and Eve were able to name all, Adam was able to name all the animals on earth and everything. In other words, God told him to take dominion of the earth. Like this is his, and these things were going to be good for Adam and Eve. But in the garden, uh, Adam rebelled and gave that authority over the earth to Satan. And now God is a just God. Um, it was legally given over to Adam and Eve. <clears throat> Adam as the head legally gave it over to Satan. Now, legally, God now has to come in and win that back, win back what was what was in the Garden of Eden. And that's the whole story of Christ. That whole that whole process is playing out as we speak. And so the violence that's happening in this world is a result of the world actually being held captive by the enemy. That's how, that's how it's uh, positioned in the Bible. And we live in this world and we have trouble in this world. There's no doubt fallen world. about it. We live in a fallen world. As soon as, according to the Bible, as soon as Adam bit into the apple, death entered the world mm. uh, and death through Satan. Satan is the author of death, not God. <clears throat> and so death takes on different forms. Death ultimately is, according to the Bible, separation from God, uh, meaning that there's death, physical death, but there's spiritual death as well. Separation from God. Mm -hmm. um, that's what that's what uh, that's what we're talking about here. And um, but manifestations of death can be sickness, can be depression, can be anxiety, can any of those dark things that are, that we're talking about are symptoms of death. Those are things that are not part of God. And we now are in the great battle of life here. Uh, this is what life has become. Um, but you know, Christ has redeemed us uh, from the sting of death here. So that, that's how our Bible works. In the meantime, we got stuff. I mean, this is, it's a battle out here. We're, it's yeah. like we're in a war. And mm -hmm. that's what you were a part of right there is casualties of war. Mm -hmm. And um, these, uh, there's the great blessed hope for the Christian is that Christ comes back and redeems the whole world and death uh is the last enemy to be defeated so th huh. there is a time in the bible where uh there will be no death um that god will wipe away the tears from every eye mm -hmm. that uh even um the lion will lay down with the lamb and the little child will play by the hole of the adder which is the most poisonous snake in the world mm -hmm. um so there will be that day but we're not there. We've talked about this before. And that sounds like it's, it sounds like it's, there's so many things that are synonymous, like singularity, when we merge with uh, technology, the theory of that. Uh, and that sounds to me like it would be the, the end of death, basically, uh, if we merge with technology and no longer really need or organic shells in order for, con and our consciousness would all come together as one. I think that's returning to heaven for sure. So returning to God. So that I, I can see where you're coming from on that. And uh, I could relate to what you're talking about. However, according to the Bible, this is something that is not made with hands. This isn't a man-made thing that's going to happen. Uh, although God uses technology, uh, but that, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, 
but it's interesting too because well, there's this um go ahead i it's because i've always believed in and i'm no biblical scholar by any stretch i'm i'd be more categorized in the ignorant category um mm, but i've but always you do have very you got spiritual chops so so don't sell yourself spiritual short. yeah i agree and along those lines i've always believed that the bible was is really symbolic the stories are symbolic it's not literal so even when mm. you talk about the second coming of christ i mean i've always believed that they're absolutely divinely inspired writings and if this is the way a human and a human being wrote them and if this is the way a human being interpreted what, uh, you know, what the lessons were being mm, like a conduit uh, given to them, then, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, the, and they've been rewritten and rewritten and crafted. And so that's why I tend to believe like even the second coming of Christ, well, maybe they're really talking about this singularity thing that I see the similarities. I, I, see, well, I can see how you can yeah. see the similarities. Yeah. yeah. And, and I can, I, I mean, you know, <clears throat> who's to say that you're not wrong on this. Uh, however, according to what I can see, um, this is, uh, let me just put it this way. According to the Bible, um, the, you can't say that the stories in there are symbolic because there's the, the, the Bible is a historic, uh, uh, book. Um, it's chocked full of history that has been time and time again, uh, supported by archaeology, which by the way, archaeology is only about 120 years old. Uh, it's a very young science, but um, the stories that are in there, and there's hundreds and hundreds of different stories that are historical facts. So uh, there are things that are uh, symbolic in the Bible, but I think you, we have to be careful about being able to separate what's symbolic and what's not. And, um, you know, so like I'm saying is that you could have some things that are right about this. However, God seems to be making it very clear that what man makes is way different than what God makes. And what God is saying about the end time, uh, which I just described to you is something completely brought on by him and him alone. And he's not going to share the credit with anybody on this one. It's actually to show it, the Bible is constantly showing how, like, for instance, the Tower of ba Babel uh, is this historic event, according to the Bible, uh, that man was trying to build his own pathway to heaven, and God destroyed that. It's, it's futile, it, it, but man thinks that he is God. Mm. And so we're, we're, if we relate that to today, we see governments out there uh, that pretend to be God. And oh, yeah. in, in communist uh, environments, the government is your God. Mm -hmm. And you will, if the government says two plus two equals five, then two plus two equals five. And, uh, and, and so what we see is that man is constantly trying to imitate God in that, in that kind of way. And it has to do with the fall of man in the garden is that the Satan, the spirit of Satan is that satan's going to take the place of god that's what the whole thing is he that he wants to be god mm -hmm. and that whole spirit it's called the spirit of antichrist 
is what's permeated the whole world here is that the world wants to be God for itself. And we see yeah. that playing out all the time, even we in see corporations. It playing out right now. And yes. I mean, the misinformation that's going on, and we always talk about social media, and it's probably the biggest culprit, along with mainstream media, even though they're dying uh, a, a pretty, I, I was going to say a slow ugly, death. Ugly yeah. death, at least. Yeah. And deservedly so. And there's a changing of the guard coming on, thank God. And so with social media, right into current events here, I think this is fantastic. I hate to say his name, but Trump sues Facebook, <laughs> Twitter, and Google uh, for censoring him and demands an end to big tech silencing and blacklisting of conservative voices and calls for punitive damages for, quote, cancel culture victims. Hmm. Punitive damage for cancel culture victims. Uh, but then as much as I like that, let's turn this boat around kind of thing. That's just more taxpayer money, my money, your money going to these other victims. I'd rather see, uh, so find some kind of a legal way to uh, handle the cancel culture. People, yeah. So the sources, you know, uh, who Alan Dershowitz is, um, he's yeah, a very famous, uh, very liberal lawyer. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, this guy, if you look at his history, he's an amazing guy. He like graduated. He was like the youngest graduate from Harvard. Uh, he's he's like a, a prodigy as far as law goes, and uh, he's very liberal. Uh, but he put out an article this week, and it was and he said about this particular case that uh, this is a very dangerous case. And it's because it pits the First Amendment against freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what does he mean by that? How, how could that possibly be? And I didn't read the article. But now that you just said it again and talked about the cancel culture, I think I get where he's going. Because cancel culture, think about it. Uh, conservative speakers coming to college, campus, mm -hmm. nobody wants them to come. Or at least a large group of people don't want them to come. So they come out and they protest and they try to cancel it. The blow horns and everything. That, else. But isn't that free speech? Mm. You yeah, see what you, I'm saying? I, I do. think that's where Alan Dershowitz is going. I'm not sure though. Uh, but see, it, this is more, I think, obvious. When Facebook, Twitter, and Google are provenly censoring information. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's that's the what free speech is all about. And you know where the slope gets slippery with the free speech stuff is, um, you know how they'll they'll say, well, if you don't believe in Black Lives Matter, then you're a racist, right? <laughs> yeah, it's right. very effective. And wow, it's too bad it is. The same thing with free speech is, well, if you want uh, the KKK to be able to speak out on Facebook or whatever, then uh, you believe in hate speech. So the definitions, <laughs> not, this is, yeah, this you're is, right. it's all about how you define hate speech. That's right. And, that's and this is the thing is hate speech um, is covered under free speech. Yeah, I know. And it gets really tricky because uh, in like England and Scotland, and I think Ireland, they they play around with this hate speech thing a they lot. Do. And they, they really do. do not have free speech. No, they don't. They, really they don't. don't. There so are we things gotta watch that you can say. In, in fact, in the UK, there are things that you can say in the privacy of your home. 
And if you're, yeah. if, for instance, if your child hears that and reports you, you're going to face the authorities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is the snitch mentality uh, that uh, governments love to uh, uh, implement on their subjects in order to control them. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've seen that throughout history. And we're seeing this here in this country now to at a degree that we've never seen before. Right. Um, and in fact, I remember uh, early on in the pandemic, our, our mayor here, Mayor Garcetti, um, implemented a program where to, to tell on your neighbors if they were uh, going around without their masks on or if they uh, uh, had too many people over at the at the house, yeah. uh, they had a special number for us to call and, and snitch on each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that breaks down unity faster than anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's what uh, Dershowitz really meant by how important this is about the. Well, First it's Amendment. important. Here, you know, um, he said it pits the First Amendment against free speech. Uh, I'm not sure I understand that. Um, however, I would say this: that I think this is a very important um, uh, case, and at the same time. I wish it wasn't Trump that brought it because any, right. you, just, you just say Trump and people will do anything, including break the law. Uh, and, and, and everybody's all in on breaking the law in order to destroy Trump. And, right. and now, and, and now, now that's where all the misinformation comes from. And, um, and this is almost a sure, surefire way to destroy free speech is to have the Trump name on it. This has nothing to, I mean, okay, it's You're about, right. it's about him, but the whole free speech thing isn't about Donald Trump. It's about our it's country. But you've made a, a perfect point. It's going to be now. Now and, it is. That's yeah, exactly right. You, We've already seen really, it. We've seen what yeah. happens now. This is why I'm saying is like, um, hey, I voted for Trump. Um, I, I thought that he was the best person to win this election, but uh, if he runs again, I'm I'm going to be very hard pressed to to vote for See, him again, just because I feel like we need a new person in there to represent the conservative values that's not tainted by that name. Because our, agreed. And here's the other thing: is you put some you put Trump in for another four years. Look what happened the last four years he was there. We got let's look what we got. I'm not saying that I didn't like a lot of the things that he, that he right. did. I liked right. a lot of the things he did. Yeah. I didn't like a lot of things he did either. Right. Uh, but but man, we don't need to go back into that again where nothing makes sense because of the the name. Now I have to admit that anybody else could come in. And the press now has a formula to make that happen to people. So they, they could do it to somebody else. They, mm. they could easily do it to somebody else, too. I do think there could be a positive if he does uh, run again in 24 that I think it would rip apart the Republican Party so much so that I think it'd make a ripe situation for a third party to uh, rise, such as a libertarian party, if they well, could find a serious candidate, something yeah. to moderate party. I got to agree with you on this. I, yeah. I personally, I'm more disappointed with the Republican Party than the Democratic oh, yeah. Party. Uh, yeah. And uh, and the reason I say that is that uh, I hate communism. And I see that uh, it's arrived here in the United States, and it's, it's permeated 
the Democrat Party. And meanwhile, the Republicans supposedly hate communism. They see what the Democrats are doing and, and they're doing nothing. They're not, they're doing nothing to stand against it. Yeah. And um, that to me means that they're complicit. They're, they're trying to do it too. They're just trying to put on a show to make, make it look like they're not. Mm-hmm. I just don't trust these guys. And I, that's what I'm saying is, you know, um, when I, when I think about the, the president who I would like to run against uh, uh, Biden in 2024, uh, I would like to see somebody that's actually fiscally responsible. Yeah. And that is something that Trump miserably failed at. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm just trying to think of things. The podcast is going by so quickly. And I want to tease something that I have a lighter side thing for you that is going to flip you out. Uh, uh- yeah, that you're going to love. You're absolutely going to love. It's going to make you giddy. Um, it's very personal. <laughs> giddy. I like very that. personal. Um, okay. So what was that? I got a pod- few things. Uh, uh, sure. To, to I did want to ask you though, cause I can't, it was a while. It was earlier. In oh the week. yeah. It was the Joe Rogan podcast. With and who? We, had, uh, we had Brett Weinstein, who's oh, a biologist right. and right. Dr. Pierre Corey, who's an intensivist. That's a, a doctor that works in a critical care unit. And, um, and Weinstein's an evolutionary biologist. That's correct. And they so are brilliant. Brilliant. They, they really are. And this whole thing that they were talking about with Joe Rogan was regarding a drug called ivermectin. Mm. And ivermectin is an antiviral medication that's been around for decades now. It's, um, of, of course, approved by the FDA. And they were posturing um, this whole situation about like going back to when COVID first hit the United States. And they were talking about how this particular drug is a very known drug, very safe drug. Very cheap. And very cheap because it's generic that Mm -hmm. can, uh, that can treat um, COVID uh, if somebody has COVID, but they're also saying that it works as a prophylaxis uh, that can in other words, it can prevent COVID. And they were saying that uh, as a result of, of people using this particular drug, we actually have evidence now uh, from many different countries where this has been something like 90% effective on both treatment and preventative care. And they so, went into a lot of the science behind it, the proof. They really so did. I want to ask you, Merle, so why are we not using it? Why are we uh, looking to drug companies to make new vaccines, new uh, pharmaceuticals? Well, this is the part that uh, was uh, a real eye opener for me. Mm-hmm. First off, uh, the, the, the vaccinations that we have right now were approved by the FDA under emergency use authorization. So they're not actually approved. Uh, It's approved under emergency use authorization. And in order to get an emergency use authorization, you, you have to have a prerequisite. And that prerequisite is that there are no other drugs that are out there that can treat the, the, the symptoms or, or whatever the case is. And so if we say ivermectin can treat this COVID-19, then you can't have an emergency use authorization. The bottom line is there's no money to be made off of ivermectin. 
Well, so this is the thing with the emergency use authorization, suddenly billions and billions of dollars of our tax dollars actually Again. start to funnel directly to these, uh, yep. to these drug companies. Furthermore, uh, there's an, an incentive where the federal government put a, a hefty $350 billion out there to the drug companies who can uh, put a, a, drug, a new drug out there that can treat the symptoms of COVID-19 and also work as a prophylaxis. So, um, so there's $350 billion out there that uh, these drug companies are going for. But if you say, well, wait a second, we already have this drug and it's a generic drug called ivermectin. <laughs> well, yeah, everybody's got it. $350 billion. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's very crooked. And again, this is with 4 million deaths uh, on, on, of blood on our hands here. Uh, we're all complicit because we're not making a big enough uh, splash about this, even on an individual basis, which is why Rogan brings uh, experts on to uh, to speak out about this because mainstream media is complicit in this. All of our politicians are complicit in this. It's, it's well, big tech is as well, Barry. And big that's, tech, that's the, the entire big... medical industry, sure. So big tech has decided to censor anybody that talks about ivermectin. Um, Dr. Corey and uh, Brett Weinstein have both been censored, taken off of uh, YouTube or had their episodes right. talking about this. So the fact of the matter is, is nobody knows about ivermectin. Yeah, nobody's and gonna listen to this because, podcast. It's because it's been censored. It's yeah. been censored off of Facebook and YouTube and Google and so, uh, this is what's happening now, and there's there are bigger ramifications to that whole thing. Yeah. But I thought they made a really interesting point. Uh, this is a long podcast, by the way. It's like three hours. But in order to get this information out, you need that time, as we you pointed do. out about podcasts before. Um, the, the point they made was you've got really two different camps. One really, I would say, represents doc, Dr. Fauci represents. And another one is what Dr. Corey and Brett Weinstein represent is that these guys, the Fauci guys, they all are beholden to, like, for instance, Fauci is beholden to all these bureaucrats, right, uh, to the WHO, to the CDC, right. uh, you know, and they can only say certain things. They also point out that all of them seem to be in agreement. Um, what uh, Dr. Corey and, and Weinstein were saying is that's highly unusual in the field of medicine and in the field of science that they typically disagree with each other and they relish disagreement. Yes. Uh, because that's part of the science because then they can take that new information and prove out their theory. You're constant. Right. This is why they call in science, they're called theories. They're not called facts because you can, you're always having to keep using new evidence to prove out mm -hmm. your theory, your theory, your theory. Um, it, it can never be set in stone, but here you, so they said, so who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust these guys over here? Like Corey and Weinstein that, that, that are independents, um, and sometimes they disagree and they work out those disagreements. Or are you gonna trust these guys that are always on the same page, always saying the same thing? Um, when they when facts change, uh, they end up with a brand new narrative that seems to disregard the past narrative, like it's a whole new one different mm -hmm. from the old one. See, these are red flags and clues. I thought those guys brought up some really good Tons. information about who to listen to in times like this. And it's actually 
uh, uh, has bigger ramifications on how that's impacting businesses uh, that are out there as well, because, you know, who, corporations are in a pickle right now and they're trying to figure out who to listen to. Mm-hmm. And they're getting all kinds of pressure from our federal government. And uh, it is causing havoc out there about what are the rules of, out there with, with these things and uh, how do we implement these? And what is the role of government in, in this whole mix as well? Uh, a lot of questions to be had. And I know I'm rambling, but the, the big news that came out on this this week was uh, Joe Biden making an announcement that um, you know he didn't hit his 70% by July 4th, 70% vaccinated. We're slightly over 50%. I think about 56% of the population has had both of their um, vaccination. So, uh, so he's about 20, 15, 20% off. And as a result, he made an announcement this week that they were going to send people out to help the remaining people that need to have a vaccination, uh, to, uh, to get vaccinated. And, uh, he talked about sending people door to door to knock on doors, to talk to people about the safety of this vaccination. So that's unprecedented. It's we, another waste of taxpayers' money. It's a big waste of taxpayer money. But I wanted to say this, that it's um, unusual that you would get medical information from a government official or mm-hmm. a bureaucrat. You, I mean, all my life, I've gotten my medical advice from my primary care physician. Mm-hmm. Um and so when you send a politician or somebody sent by a politician to my house to talk to me about medication, you've now politicized medication. And now you're, 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 you're adding in a, a factor of distrust. I think this is the wrong way of doing it. I think it's an invasion of privacy. And, and, and also, uh, it, how... There is this thing called HIPAA, and, and our, our medical privacy has been destroyed through this whole vaccination thing, and nobody seems to be talking about that. That was a whole boatload of stuff, Barry. I'm well, it was, but, but if you just follow it up to the top of the ladder, what it, it comes down to is our government government is run by lobbyists, completely run by uh, these big corporations, and especially the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, we have to do something about this. The amount of money of taxpayer dollars that they waste, that they gift to uh, special interest groups, every time that they set a stimulus package out, you know, they all they have to do is say something's racist and then sneak this bill out that is not 75% special interest money of our money. It is it's appalling. And and they just keep bleeding us dry. The healthcare industry does everything they can to get every penny out of every individual that cannot hide their money in uh, some kind of overseas account or something like that. In other words, 95% of Americans, I'm roughly speaking, That's we right. have got That's to right. do something about the corporate infiltration of our government. We've got to... Well- restrict the power of the federal government that they keep seizing uh, from the states. Well, if we go back to the beginning of the show and we talk about your friend who's an eight-time cancer survivor, um, look at what the drug companies just did right there. 
there was a generic drug. Um, Dr. Corey mentioned that you could produce a, a big jar of this, <laughs> you know, for about a dollar. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, but the drug companies have figured out a way to charge the maximum amount uh, every single time they're trying to game the system in order to charge the maximum amount to the point where it's ruining people's lives yeah. that are sick. They're sick already. And you're going to give them these treatments that are $50,000, $100,000 a year in order for them to survive. And what we're finding out is that if how many of those drugs could have been generic drugs, but they forced them to, mm -hmm. to by 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 calling it something different, yeah. by changing the formula a little bit, uh, it's got to be this new thing that comes out that's got a gino ginormous price tag. That that if it's not gonna, if you're not gonna die naturally from the disease, you're gonna die from starvation because you're you're broke at the end yeah. of the day. This this cancer thing or these the, what's happening is it's ruining people. It's just ruining people, and healthcare is meant to to save people, not ruin people. Right. Right. And I've always been a big advocate of we should all have health care available to everybody. I don't think uh, just being able to have your health tended to should be something to do with money. There is very a lot of a lot of very unfortunate people out there that could be a lot uh, a lot better off if they had well, better access to health care. But I realize how it gets corrupted. That's as soon the as thing, you say Barry. That. Yeah, because yeah. because. I think that when you take a look at the high cost of healthcare, you have to take a look at exactly this scenario that Weinstein and, and Corey were talking about is that the pharmaceutical companies have figured out a way to maximize their profits. And if you take a look at over the last year, the board members of, of AstraZeneca and, uh, and uh, Johnson and Johnson and all these other drug companies, Pfizer, these guys have were, became multi, if they weren't rich before, they mm -hmm. became mega rich through this whole thing. So, so that's really what's happened. And I think, you know, if we, the, it should be a crime. In fact, it is a crime. What they did is a crime. Uh, and they've gotten away with it. And when you start to take a look at the ramifications of this whole thing, uh, Dr. McCullough out of a Texas A&M is saying that if they would have started treating these people as soon as they got, as soon as this thing happened with ivermectin, which the medical community already knew about, uh, about 80% of the deaths that happened worldwide would not have happened. That's a pretty big number right there. And when you start to think about what happened and how it happened with this drug, doesn't that make the pharmaceutical companies 100% responsible? Yeah, and they're just too big to do anything about it. Well, and it gets back to Trump trying to sue uh, the big tech companies. We'll because see how they, this yeah, what they've done and, and they've, yeah. they're, they're complicit in this as well. And like you said, are they too big to be responsible for it's something a shame this? that we it's a shame we have to even consider that isn't it it really is it it, it reminds me of something that um who was it uh it was stalin who said this i hate to quote stalin but sometimes he said the things that he gets to have to say huh he says you know um one or two people that get murdered becomes the number one story but uh you kill a million people it's a statistic. Mm. 
and see this is what we have going on now it's you know if you if you killed like the president it's, you know oh my god but you kill you know six hundred thousand, a million a few million people well there's statistics that keep popping up on our screen oh well, now another two million people wow that's a lot you know it's a it's an amazing phenomenon but this is what's happening is people are dying they've made decisions that cause people to die and now they're just statistics that we're hearing all the time instead of these personal stories it, it, when you start to dwell into the personal stories whoo it's some pretty heartbreaking stuff that's happened here that made me think of uh, with i have so many stories in in my current event notes of all of the violence that is going on. Uh, San Francisco, there's organized shoplifting running rampant everywhere. Ah, Target is closing their stores early as a result of this. Well, well they have no uh, enforcement. They, well, it, yeah, it, right? Cuomo, Cuomo, the, the violence is gone through the roof in New York. And now he's pulling the old blame the gun thing. Well, um, yeah. And what's and Lori Lightfoot doing? What, Lori what Lightfoot, she? she's blaming, she's saying, that it's not as bad as what's being reported. And the reason right. it's being reported that way is because of uh, bigotry. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. She so you throw some bigotry in there and it seems to work for it. It's like the well, all-purpose ingredient. Some, they're constituents. We use seasoned salt. Remember we use seasoned salt? Yeah. Just put some seasoned salt in Flowries. there. It'll taste good. Yeah. Flowers. <laughs> yeah. But their constituents eat this up. Okay, so they she do. says That's it's bigotry, and they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, they get incensed. Cuomo says it's the guns, and, you know, the... Well, that's how they get votes, right? Exactly. You got to say that. And then we're on the outside looking in going, I can't believe these people. I mean, these are the people that think that we should do away with the electoral college so that they can run the entire country. They are. They're the same people. What, I amazing. wanted to go back to San Francisco and say this, that you're right. It's because not only are they not enforcing, they're not enforcing it because they have a law that says you can steal up to almost $1,000 worth of merchandise and yeah. you, you're going to get away with it. So. Right. What do you think is going to happen? So they, so instead of <laughs> changing the law about that, they shorten yeah. the hours. So now they're screwing people out of yeah. out of a wage because they can't work those hours anymore. The very people in that same area, the mostly black people live in, now they can't they can't get enough wage now because mm -hmm. people are these black. This is terrible. Uh, like it's all in the name of of Black Lives Matter. Yet you're destroying black lives because now they can't work. But here's the other thing. They're not gonna get less shoplifting as uh, because no you kidding. shorten the hours. They're just gonna concentrate the shoplifting yeah. into a, a smaller amount of hours, at making it more dangerous for the customers. And in, in case in point, this week, uh, Neiman Marcus got hit up really hard Saw in that. San Francisco. I and saw it was a video like, on that. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, so, I, I mean, saw a video. They don't, they don't care what time it out. is. Yeah. And they're all going in different directions. Yeah. Hey, if the law is that you can steal a thousand dollars worth of stuff and not get punished for it, who's what the difference? What difference does it make what time it is? They're handing out money. Of course, you're yeah, going to go get exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, you'll, you'll, you'll get up a little like, like these guys are waking up at seven o'clock at night and just getting ready to go rob and pillage. They're, they'll wake up earlier, <laughs> come out, and just do it earlier. That It's the mentality of this. Yeah, come it's, on. Like, it's uh, who do we have? Uh, making these decisions is it Laurel and Hardy? I mean, it just it just seems so ridiculous. 
Uh, here's something. It's total change of pace, but yeah. I just read the other day employees. Uh, yeah, employees in Iceland are started are, have started working four days a week, and the research has said like that it that. has not hurt productivity. In fact, in many cases, it increased productivity. You know, I always said that if I ran for president, my platform would be the four day work week. I think yeah. that. Um, that I would be willing to work two extra hours a day if, to get that uh, 40 hour work week. No, they're working 32 hours a week. So oh, well, that's a European thing. Yeah. Um, they only work like 30, 32 hours yeah. in Europe. Uh, that's a, that's a whole thing. But I, I would definitely, uh, personally, I would, uh, I would definitely support the four day week, uh, the mm-hmm. four day week and maybe you alternate Mondays and Fridays. And mm-hmm. if you could do it, I think that would be great. I think yeah, we need think more time to be with our families. I, I really do. We've, we've, we've yeah. turned this into like, and, and like, you know, very few people that are supposed to work 40 hours, work 40 hours, or, you know, 50, 60 hours is, is pretty common. And, um, you know, it, 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 my dad died when he was 55. I think he worked himself to death. You know, yeah. So we got to, we got to, we got to, we got to look out for each other. I, I think it's a, I think it's a, great idea. And let's put it this way. If we got our federal government under control and, and sliced it down 75% and figured out a way to uh, correct the lobbying problem. Now, politicians, we've, we've always, we found this throughout history is that you need company representation in, in your government, because otherwise you're having politicians trying to uh, run, great regulations for companies and politicians don't know how to run a company. So mm-hmm. there needs mm-hmm. to be consulting, but that, I agree with that, but it turned into uh, our lobbyists completely overtaking Washington. I mean, I can't even stress how much it, I remember reading years ago, this is when we had that crisis of the 2000 around 2008 mm-hmm. the recession that there were five healthcare lobbyists for every government official in Washington. That's just yeah. healthcare. Well, this is interesting because um, as I was telling you, uh, uh, I've been telling you, I've been reading that book by Josh Hawley. You know, I'm reading like five different books right now. So it's taking a long <laughs> time to get the, I'm too interested in things <laughs> anyway. Um, but he talks about corporations and how the founding, uh, the founders of the country saw corporations as a threat to yeah. our, to, to really our, our nation. And it had to do with the English and the, 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 the corporation that the Royal family owned the uh, East Indian trade company and how they used it as a monopoly to oppress the people. And, um, well, we, because of the railroad industry, corporations ended up becoming something that we accepted because there was no way for, for a business to be able to manage the expense of putting down that type of infrastructure, right? So, so they allowed corporations to exist in order to do this because it was something that was good for the nation. Well, as a result, the railroads companies became so powerful that just what you're saying, these they started to control our government oh, sure. through through lobbyists, mm-hmm. and this was exactly what the founders were concerned about. And yeah. so today, look at what's happened. The corporations now seem to be much more powerful than the will of the people. 
And, By uh, far. And if something we can, needs to be changed there. If we could seize the, yeah, they want to take our guns now so that we yeah. cannot seize back uh, the power. It's too, uh, it's dispersed throughout all these corporations and stuff anyway. But if we could, if we could find a way to just overthrow our current state of government and get back to we the people, you know, for the people of the United States and reduce, we could easily reduce our taxes, uh, oh. taxes collected by 50%, if not At more. least, at yeah, least. You're more. exactly right, Barry. And this is exactly what the people in power are so afraid of. You saw Joe Biden speaking about it a few weeks ago where he said he was talking about guns and he said that, uh, hey, if you, you know, all this talk about, you know, the government and, and uh, being afraid of the government. Let me, let me just say this, that if you were going to try to fight the government, you'd need some F-15s and some nukes. And uh, Eric Swalwell followed that up with a tweet and said, and it'd be a mighty short war, my friends, yeah. mighty short. We have nukes and they're legit, too many of them, but they're legit. Let's come together and talk. I'm sure we could come up with something. I just think that that's some t a terrible, terrible It tells thing. the story. It, it really the does story. tell the story. It tells, mm -hmm. it shows where their fear is. And if, you, if you're so afraid that, you threaten nukes? I mean, okay, let's just think about that. Um, there's somebody uh, in Los Angeles that's causing trouble. Let's drop a nuke on them. Yeah. Um, what? You're going to kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to kill the whole nation, actually. Why would you Why would you even say something that stupid? I know. Hey, we got to lighten this up and uh, move on. We're All right. Really out of time. So this afternoon, Lisa and I are going to... Oh, oh my gosh. Go this visit... Is this uh beautiful i don't know if this is a there's a brother and sister this dog these two dogs they're in their foster homes right now they're oh my gosh look at this dog oh my gosh what a face but they're puppies yes i understand <laughs> and so you have to deal with that look how know? calm that little puppy looks. okay this is the one i like the best yeah um i love the eyes oh adorable okay it, these are yeah. Yeah, these are little hellions, I can tell. Like, they're like, take me home. Take us both oh, home, Barry. Well, you know, that's what Lisa, Lisa, Lisa's the one that found these puppies. Uh, oh, they are beautiful. with somebody that uh, she works with or the foster mm -hmm. care. Right, right. And so she sends me these pictures. And then uh, obviously, I'm just floored by this. And, oh. and uh, look how says, regal this one looks. Oh, he, God, there's, just adorable and she said to me now look <laughs> she said to me now look if we go see these i know it's going to be all over for you but yes we can only if we adopt one it could be only one not both and she goes and if you make me feel guilty about this and she goes because you know we didn't want to do a puppy anyway uh puppies yes, are i know man. they're hard man yeah yeah i mean and it's uh, it's like having so a baby to do two could you yeah. imagine two? twins yeah, yeah exactly so she's like and if you make me feel because you're going to want to take both and and if you can't handle that if you can <laughs> just take the one and live with your guilt or whatever your problem is then okay but if you can't don't take me out you know let's not go out there so that's what I've been faced with anyways, four between four and 5 PM today, we're going out to visit these two in Lakewood. Oh my gosh. That is so exciting. Um, yeah. and so are they both, uh, boys, girls, where, where a are we boy with? and a girl, brother and sister. Oh, okay. And you know, which one is this? Is this, the I boy don't know. 
I don't know. know, but you see the markings on the white paws on this. Yeah, one, yeah, and yep. the other does not have. Yeah, white I think this one's my favorite. Oh, uh, my, oh, I don't oh know. actually, now I don't know. That's yeah, that's the one without the markings. Hard to say. This is look the, how cute they are. Oh my god, they are those are the cutest dogs. Yes. I don't know. Oh, this I think that one's my favorite. Yeah. Okay, that's the one the without the white paws. Okay, I uh, I'm thinking just by looking there, I'm thinking this is the girl without the white paws yeah so uh, oh my that's gosh. look at same. that that's it right there that, that's that <laughs> one has me it's like okay you're coming yeah. home with me i had this thought uh before the podcast that and by the way i <laughs> with as discombobulated as my work week was i rode my bike to the gym you know trying to get back on my regular routine right well my bike lock was on my old bike because oh, that's no. what i used all week and uh, so I didn't have, so I get to the gym. I don't have a lock for my bike. So I just had to come back home. And by the way, I have the new lock already, but it's still in the box. I just got it the other day from Amazon, but I've been all over the place. So, right. Right. Anyways. Um, I don't know why that came. Oh, because I was thinking it would be ideal if I could get a neighbor to adopt one of these. Oh, wouldn't that be you great? Know? And they could visit all the time, you know, the, the, the two puppies. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't really separate them. That would be something. Yeah. Okay. Hey, with that, we got to. Hey, I, I just want to throw ahead. out a plug here real quick. Yeah. So um, we took a little bit of a hiatus on uh, Cyber Talk TV. Yeah. And um, we're going to be back uh, very, very soon. We're, we're coming out with our, our first episode in two weeks. And this is going to be a really good one. As a matter of fact, we've got an author. Uh, his name is Stephen Scherer. And he wrote a book called Surviving Chinese Communist Attention. Um, he is, this Jeez. is a person that uh, was a young man that started a business in Beijing, China, uh, moved to Beijing, China, very exciting and uh, really enjoyed it. Had, it. had a business there for a few years. And one day his business was raided. He was told that he was an illegal uh, an employee, which he was not. He was thrown in the back of a military uh, prison vehicle and carted off to a black prison. Black means that um, it, it's off the radar. Mm -hmm. No one knows where it is. And mm -hmm. he was uh, held in a cell with 17 other violent criminals uh, he was starved. He was mentally tortured and uh, wrote a book about how this happened. He ended up being freed by the American consulate and uh, tells his story. So we're going to have him on the show to tell the wow. story. It should be really good. I'm really excited about the first one back. Sounds like a really good one. Uh, so leave us a link to that when you have That's it. on uh, cybertalktv.tv, cybertalktv.tv. Okay, sounds good. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us. We are going to go into the after show. If you want to get the links to these to your email box, just sign up at over50startingover.com. See you next week.